Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on a shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast, or even easier is a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. Check podcast sites for your favorite international broadcaster. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from NHK Japan, Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, France 24, and Radio Havana Cuba. We will begin with NHK World Radio Japan. Authorities have approved the plans for facilities and an underground tunnel to dump the wastewater from Fukushima nuclear power plant into the Pacific Ocean. Japan has experienced many rainfall records in the past week, up to 560 millimeters or 22 inches in a day, leading to floods and landslides. Drought conditions in Europe have worsened. In Japan, COVID cases are surging at an unprecedented level. United Nations delegates are debating how to stop nuclear warfare from ever happening again. In the wake of Pelosi's controversial trip to Taiwan, China has launched military drills in the region with five missiles landing in waters claimed by Japan. NHK Japan. Authorities in northern Japan have approved plans for the construction of facilities to release treated water from the crippled Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant into the ocean. The governor of Fukushima Prefecture and the mayors of the two municipalities hosting the plant met with Tokyo Electric Power Company President Kobayakawa Tomoaki on Tuesday. The officials submitted a document to Kobayakawa indicating their approval of TEPCO's plan to construct an underwater tunnel and other facilities. But they also expressed concerns of residents about the safety of the project. Some are worried about the damage it could cause to the region's reputation. The officials asked Kobayakawa to publish data on the presence of radioactive material in the treated water and to hold a dialogue with the public to ease their concerns. The Nuclear Regulation Authority gave final approval in July of TEPCO's plan to release the treated water. The reactors at the Fukushima Daiichi plant suffered meltdowns in the March 2011 earthquake and tsunami disaster. Water used to cool molten fuel mixes with rain and groundwater. The accumulated water is being treated to remove most of the radioactive material and stored in tanks on the plant's grounds. The filtered water still contains tritium. The government plans to dilute the water, so the concentration of tritium is well below national and global standards. TEPCO hopes to complete construction work on the underwater tunnel and other facilities by next spring. 
Unprecedented heavy rain hit Japan for two days in a row. On Thursday, we saw drenching heavy rainfall hitting the Hokuriku region, hitting Ishikawa Prefecture, Niigata Prefecture, and surrounding areas. In fact, in 24 hours, parts of Niigata Prefecture saw 560 millimeters. That's the all-time record and 2.7 times the monthly rainfall for August. Many new all-time records were set in the Hokuriku and the Tohoku region in 24 hours. The rain is still in the forecast on Friday, but rain will ease on the Sea of Japan side. This frontal system will finally move away from Japan, but the Tokyo area could see a chance for heavy rainfall on Friday. Meanwhile, it's going to be pretty hot in parts of Europe, and it's been pretty hot and animals are suffering from the heat. Drought continues to hit France. Last month was the driest July on record and the second driest calendar month in recorded history. The peak of the heat is expected to be over soon, but temperatures will remain on the hot side. We turn now to the coronavirus situation here in Japan. Cases are surging at unprecedented levels. The nationwide tally for Thursday came in at more than 230,000. That comes after a record number on Wednesday. More than 500 COVID patients across the country are in serious condition. Officials in Tokyo reported more than 35,000 new cases and 15 deaths. Public health experts say the situation in Tokyo remains very serious. An unprecedented explosion in infections is ongoing. Anyone could get infected anywhere at any time. People need to do everything they can to protect themselves. The surge in cases and close contacts is causing a shortage of available workers. Some essential services, such as hospitals and public transport, are struggling to keep going. This month, Hiroshima and Nagasaki mark 77 years since the cities were bombed with atomic weapons. The anniversaries come as UN delegates are debating how to stop nuclear warfare from ever happening again. But as NHK World's Nochi Haruka reports, disagreements have made the talks less than peaceful. Russia has faced two days of heavy criticism at the conference reviewing the UN's nuclear non-proliferation treaty. Now, Moscow's representative has shot back. In a surprise speech, he rejected accusations that Russia was prepared to use nuclear weapons in Ukraine. However, he had a warning for NATO. He said its support for Kyiv could lead to a confrontation between nuclear powers. He said that's something that should be avoided at all costs. If Western countries try to test our resolve, Russia will not back down. And this is not the language of threat. This is simply a statement of what is possible. Such is the logic of deterrence. Russia's delegate also took a shot at the United States. He highlighted that its bombing of Japan during World War II remains the only time nuclear arms have been used as a weapon of war. China has also faced tough wars around its commitment to nuclear nonproliferation, but has pushed back. Beijing's delegate rejected accusations that it was ramping up its arsenal. He argued that China's stockpile is at the minimum level necessary to ensure its national security. More debate speeches are set to continue this week. The participants are all voicing support for nuclear restraint, but many disputes will need to be ironed out before this conference wraps up on August 26. Nochi Haruka, NHK World, New York.
Tokyo has lodged a protest with Beijing after multiple Chinese ballistic missiles landed within Japan's exclusive economic zone amid large-scale military drills. It's to It's believed to be the first time that projectiles fired by China have fallen inside of the Japanese EZ. China appears to have launched nine ballistic missiles. Five of them are believed to have landed in Japan's exclusive economic zone. We strongly condemn the act, as it is a serious issue concerning Japan's security and the safety of Japanese people. Japanese Defense Minister Kishinobuo told reporters that China launched the mis- ballistic missiles Thursday afternoon Japan time. There were no immediate reports of any damage caused by the event. Kishi said that Japan's defense ministry and the self-defense forces are still working to gather information and monitor the situation. The launches appear to be part of large-scale military exercises being held in the skies and waters surrounding Taiwan. Beijing kicked off the drills one day after a controversial visit to Taiwan by U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. She's the highest-ranking U.S. official to visit there in a quarter of a century. Chinese state TV broadcast footage of missile launches and featured statements from an army commander. He says the military is testing Chinese troop capabilities under actual combat conditions. China claims Taiwan is an inalienable part of its territory. The defense ministry has said the military would carry out the operations to resolutely safeguard China's sovereignty and territorial integrity. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan. They are heard from 9.30 to 10 p.m. at 7355 and 6165 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Daylight Saving Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. On to Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle. An analyst describes why the timing of Pelosi's Taiwan trip was very sensitive to the Chinese leadership and how it will increase the militarization and economic conflict in the region. Then brief reports on Myanmar, forest fires in Portugal and Spain, women's groups in Chile are campaigning for a new constitution, and the first ship carrying grain from Ukraine is on its way to Lebanon. Radio Deutsche Welle. Well, joining us now is Valerie Tan. She's an analyst with the Mercator Institute for China Studies here in Berlin. Welcome to DW. Um, You've written that the timing of Nancy Pelosi's trip to Taiwan is particularly sensitive to Xi Jinping and China's top leadership. Just explain to us why that is. Well, this year is particularly sensitive for Xi Jinping because he is seeking a third term as the leader and the chief of the Chinese Communist Party, party state, essentially. So the last thing he wants is to appear weak or undermined, not least by the United States. And it's beyond just this year. Going ahead to 2049, he has made reunification with Taiwan a historic mission and part of the greater goal of the greater rejuvenation of the Chinese nation. So for C, Pelosi's, Pelosi's visit requires a strong Chinese response. If not, he will come across as weak. 
So we had a relationship between the United States and, and China that was already fraught. Has this trip moved that in one way? Well, it certainly hasn't made it friendly, has it? Has, has it actually made it worse? Well, I'm not really a China-US relations expert, but I can definitely say one thing. With or without Pelosi's visit, relations between China and Taiwan have already hit a historic low. So obviously, her trip to Taiwan does little to improve or repair cross-strait relations. But that said, it really sets the stage for how bilateral relations between China and Taiwan are going to proceed from now onwards. We're going to see more militarization. We're going to see an increase in intensity and frequency of economic coercion. Increasingly, that will be the norm for how Beijing treats Taiwan. The question right now is, can it get any worse? For now, what we've seen is China is also quite careful not to overstep its show of anger, as it will also have to bear some, if not most, of the consequences if a full-blown military conflict does happen. Taiwan's uh, independence movement uh, seems to be uh, quite a concern for for China. Um, Is it uh, really strong there? What are they doing? I think what we've seen in this visit is within Taiwan's leadership, they have been careful to play down the visit. And if you have followed like what Tsai Ing-wen said during her speech uh, this morning uh, in the joint press conference that she held with Nancy Pelosi, the word independence or declaration of independence was not really openly put across because they know that would signal or that would be a clear indication for China to really take action. Instead, the visit and what Taiwan said and top Taiwanese leadership have been going around using this narrative of protecting their system, protecting sovereignty, and it's run on this values-based idea of freedom, democracy, human rights. So those are the really key values or beliefs that Taiwan is really fighting right. for, the whole idea of protecting democracy and sovereignty. Understood. Thank you. That's very clear. Thanks for joining us, uh, Valerie Tan. Uh, from the Mercator Institute for China Studies. Thank you. The head of Myanmar's ruling military junta has announced a six-month extension of the state of emergency. The army seized power from the elected government of Aung San Suu Kyi last year. They've pledged to hold new elections in August 2023, but observers say that's unlikely. Portugal is battling major forest fires after another weekend of plus 40 degrees Celsius heat. 400 firefighters have been brought into the battle ablaze near the capital, Lisbon. Other fires are burning in northern and central Portugal, with those regions on alert with high temperatures set to last until Tuesday. Authorities are blaming arsonists for wildfires in northwestern Spain. The blaze started in the autonomous region of Galicia. Spain is having its worst year on record for wildfires and has lost more land to them than any other country in Europe. Women's groups in Chile have been campaigning for the adoption of a new constitution. They're backing a proposal put forward by a constitutional assembly focused on equality, indigenous autonomy and the environment. Society appears divided. The current constitution dates back to the dictatorship of Augusto Pinochet. Lawmakers vote on the draft next month. And the first ship carrying grain from Ukraine since the war began is on its way to Lebanon after passing inspections in Turkey. Monitors from the UN, Ukraine, Turkey and Russia checked the Rizzoni. It's hoped further shipments will now be able to leave Ukrainian ports.
Those reports were from Germany's Radio Deutsche Welle, which may be heard at a combined audio-video website, DW.com, as well as on YouTube at their channels called DW News and DW Documentary. Next, France 24. In Yemen, the two-month truce in fighting has been extended with a commitment to intensify negotiations to reach an expanded truce, though much of the deal is controversial. France 24 It's been the longest period of respite for Yemen after seven years of war. The country's warring parties will renew its existing two-month truce that was set to expire on Tuesday, announced UN envoy Hans Grundberg. This truce extension includes a commitment from the parties to intensify negotiations to reach an expanded truce agreement as soon as possible. The extension falls short of a proposed six-month renewal of the ceasefire. Both Yemen's internationally recognized government and the country's Houthi rebels disagreeing on certain demands, mistrust running deep. Yemenis say they want the truce to lead to lasting peace. I hope that the truce will be an opening to direct negotiations for lasting peace that restores stability. People are suffering greatly. A truce like the previous one is useless because it's neither war nor peace. Yemen needs a truce. The already four-month-old truce came into effect in April this year after the capital Sana'a was seized by the Iran-aligned Houthi rebels in 2014, forcing the government to flee. In 2015, a Saudi-led coalition intervened to try and restore the government to power. Washington welcomed the extended ceasefire, which they say has brought Yemen unprecedented calm. We're grateful for the leadership of Saudi Arabia throughout this truce process, as well as the Sultan, as well as for the Sultan and leaders uh, of Oman, who have also played an important role throughout. These five months, which may not sound like a lot, but when you're talking about seven years of war and thousands and thousands of Yemeni lives, it counts for a lot. More than 150,000 people have been killed during almost eight years of fighting in what the UN says is the worst humanitarian crisis in the world. That report was from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website france24.com as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or could assist me by supporting this listener-funded program, I may be reached through the website and PayPal or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Please help me continue producing this weekly show, which I freely distribute to radio stations and the Internet, like a listener in Upper Lake, California, did this week. Many, many thanks. We will conclude with Radio Havana, Cuba. Colombian Vice President-elect Francia Marquez met with former Bolivian President Evo Morales on her tour promoting a united and sovereign Latin America. There has been a summit of indigenous peoples in Colombia concluding with the demand that humanitarian, economic, and environmental emergencies in the indigenous community be immediately decreed. Indigenous Australian Green Senator Lydia Thorpe blasted Queen Elizabeth II as a colonizing queen. Then a viewpoint on the Supreme Court of the UK, 
which denied Venezuela access to their gold reserves deposited in London. A judge explained that the British recognized Juan Guaido as president, not Nicolas Maduro. Radio Havana, Cuba. Colombian Vice President-elect Francia Marquez has met with former Bolivian President Evo Morales to make clear the common positions between leaders and peoples. Marquez posted on her Twitter account to close her visit to Bolivia, quote, With joy we met with Evo, master of life. With him we learned the dignity of the peoples to keep standing despite adversaries. She later expressed, in accordance with one of the concepts she defended through the tour of South America, unity. Quote, Today the struggles of the Bolivian and Colombian people come together to call for a united and sovereign Latin America. The former Bolivian president also highlighted on his Twitter account, quote, A wonderful two-hour meeting with our sister Francia Marquez, vice president-elect of Colombia. We shared experiences of the long struggle for the rights of the poorest and excluded by neoliberal policies. Eva Morales insisted that both entities are moving towards the unity and brotherhood of the great homeland, or La Patria Grande. As the first Afro-descended woman of her country to be vice president and before officially taking office next Sunday, August the 7th, the meeting took place within the framework of Marquez's tour of the region, which included visits to Brazil, Chile, Argentina and Bolivia. There she participated in high-level meetings with presidents, vice presidents, ministers and other political and social personalities. The Summit of Indigenous Peoples, which since last Wednesday was held in the town of Silvia, Cauca Department in the southwest concluded on Saturday with an anonymous call for Colombia to work towards peace and leave behind the world to become a power of life, as expressed by President-elect Gustavo Petro. In their final declaration, the delegates to the meeting demanded that the humanitarian, economic, social, and environmental emergency of the indigenous peoples be immediately decreed. The representatives of Colombia's indigenous peoples argued that they have historically faced discrimination, social, physical, and cultural extermination, and that such a measure would help to avoid the repetition of this marginalization and the murder of new comrades. The nearly 30,000 participants ratified that there are original peoples prior to the conformation of nation-states with their own governments, backed by indigenous guards and other forms of spiritual and cultural protection of their territory. On this basis, they pointed out that they will participate in the stage of changes that will begin on August the 7th in a dialogue of equals from government to government with structural proposals that will allow the materialization of the rights and the transformation of the country. Aboriginal Australian Senator Lydia Thorpe, after taking the oath of office on Monday as a recently elected lawmaker, branded Britain's Elizabeth II as, quote, a colonizing queen. After being administered the oath in the Australian Parliament on Monday, the firebrand Green Senator for Victoria raised her right fist in a black power salute as she reluctantly swore allegiance to the 96-year-old monarch who is still Australia's head of state. Drawing an uproar from the Senate, she said, quote, I, Sovereign Lydia Thorpe, to solemnly and sincerely affirm and declare that I will be faithful and I will bear true allegiance to the 
colonizing Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, she was forced to undertake her parliamentary oath for a second time after being swiftly shut down by other senators. Senator Thorpe, Senator Thorpe, you are required to recite the oath as printed on the card, said Senate President Lou Lyons. Thorpe reluctantly finished the oath as, re as required and was sworn into Parliament. She later tweeted, Sovereignty never ceded, as she shared a photo of her swearing-in, supporting Thorpe's comments about the British Queen as a colonizer. Green's leader, Adam Bunt, said on Twitter, Always was, always will be. Thorpe has been a staunch supporter of an independent Australia and is highly outspoken about the nation's colonist history. She has repeatedly argued that the Australian flag represents dispossession, massacre and genocide. I'm here for my people and I will sacrifice swearing allegiance to the colonizer to get into the media like I am right now, to get into the parliament like I am every day, she was quoted as saying. Thorpe has called for a treaty that would legally recognise Aboriginal historical ownerships of the land. Australia was a British colony for more than 100 years, a period during which thousands of Aboriginal Australians were killed. The Supreme Court of the United Kingdom denied the legitimate government of Venezuela, headed by President Nicolas Maduro, access to the gold reserves deposited in London, an act described by some as unusual but which in reality constitutes a vulgar example of piracy. As if most of the world still lived under the rule of the British crown, Judge Sara Coqueril argued that a country doesn't recognize the Bolivarian executive and therefore doesn't abide by the decisions of the board of the Central Bank of Venezuela. It is about 31 tons of gold valued at around $1.9 billion dollars which are deposited in the armored vaults of the Bank of England, but which belong to the brotherly Latin American people, prevented since 2019 from using them to develop its economy. According to Mrs. Cockerill, the Venezuelan president is Juan Guaido, which highlights her absolute ignorance of the laws or her total lack of respect for the legal system of other nations. Let's remember that Guaido was not elected by anyone, absolutely no one cast a vote in his favor, not even the board of directors of the Congress appointed him ruler. He himself, in a park in Caracas, called himself temporary president and the United States immediately recognized him and forced its allies and servants, among them the United Kingdom, to accept him as such. It is not odd that in London they adopt this behavior, especially if remember some of the traditions, among them piracy, which was legalized for the first time in the whole planet during the reign of Henry VIII in the early 16th century and later elevated to an institution by Elizabeth I. If you look carefully, you can find monuments erected as if they were national heroes to cruel and ruthless corsairs, such as Francis Drake, elevated to the category of Sir, for his contributions to the kingdom. Another criminal of this kind, John Hawkins, was awarded and treated as a notable merchant after ravaging the African coast hunting their citizens like animals and selling them as slaves throughout the Caribbean Sea. Many governments should become aware of this history, read and assimilate its lessons, and take it into account when making decisions. The British privateer mentally hasn't changed. Remember the Falklands? 
and the asylum seekers sent to Rwanda like cattle? If they were pirates once, no wonder they are pirates forever. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radio8c.cu, but there are no podcasts up there. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140, and from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6000, 6060, or 6165. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and E.U. prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows. Please consider making a safe donation online through PayPal. There's a link at my website along with a podcast link and get advice for listening at home. This shortwave report, which is now in its 26th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. The shortwave report is produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.